Hello, everybody. Tom and Keith with you as we look back at Florida State's victory over Wake Forest. The Knowles uh, do the expected, uh, perhaps not with the score that was expected, 17-6 the final score. But they're, uh, as per usual, Keith, a lot of good, some not so good, and we'll rehash it over the uh, next 60 minutes or so. But I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge, which uh, we're not always want to do, that that's a pretty good Wake Forest football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I guess old-time fans would not want to admit that. They'd not want to think about Wake Forest being reputable, but certainly if you follow uh, what they've done this year in terms of their one-loss record, if you just look at the tape, if you understand what uh, Coach Clawson is doing and continuing what uh, Coach Grobe started at Wake Forest, and despite the last two years as they've got acclimated to him, you would recognize that this is a good middle-of-the-pack you know, ACC team. This is not a doormat uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they redshirt their sophomore, their freshmen, so they're older. Uh, their kids stay the full time, so you've got four-year and five-year players. Uh, they've got a lot of kids on this particular team that are juniors and seniors, redshirt juniors and seniors. They're not going to beat themselves. They're well-coached. They're disciplined. They will fight you for 60 minutes, and that's exactly the game that we saw in Doak Campbell Stadium last night. No question about it, and uh, we had talked a lot going in, and to me, uh, summarizing succinctly, I guess, I thought the effort was good for Florida State, but the execution was not, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know if you'd agree there, because I, and more to the point about effort, because there was great effort against Miami, and we wondered, would we see similar effort against Wake? The biggest thing that I was disappointed in the game against Wake was the turnovers. Uh, and obviously with Dalvin laying the ball on the ground a couple of different times, uh, you know, you just don't see that happen. But it was a game in which those things were happening. You saw Dal- Dalvin drop a ball. Uh, you saw Travis, despite his big numbers, which we'll talk about. He had a couple of balls that he dropped. Bobo had one that he dropped. Uh, they, 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 they didn't commit the pre-snap penalties and, 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 and didn't have confusion on the offensive side like we saw in the first half of Ole Miss. But you're exactly right. The effort was there, but the execution was a little bit missing. Was that because they were looking past Wake Forest, maybe looking towards the open week, maybe looking towards the Clemson game, which follows? You know, Only the individual kids could say that. But uh, certainly in a macro sense, it was a game in which you would say those were the things amongst others that contributed, and, and they've got to clean up that execution in terms of what does the offense need to do first. That said, Clemson should have lost yesterday, quite frankly. Wow. And uh, Virginia Tech did lose to Syracuse. And so, uh, though it's cliche and you get tired of hearing, uh, you know, the other guys are on scholarship too, or people used to get tired of hearing Bobby say 50% of the teams lost on Saturday or what have you, uh, it, it is a reality. And the ACC this year is very good. It's very good that you don't have just one or two teams at the top and maybe two or three in the should, middle. I should have pointed out that Duke was this close to beating Louisville on Friday night. I mean, it, it, the, the top six or eight teams in this league uh, are very, very competitive, as we've seen by both the scores and the one-loss records. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a much improved conference. Uh, and, and some crazy things are just happening. I mean, you know, you, you, you see North Carolina beat Florida State, and then they go and score three points in an entire game. Granted, in the middle of a hurricane. But nevertheless, back off, look at the paper. Those things aren't supposed to happen. But yet we've seen them happen in the ACC this year. Well, now you see Miami 
dropped two in a row, and they've got to go play a Virginia Tech team that's going to be upset that they lost to Syracuse, and that could be a three-game tailspin. In Blacksburg. With Pitt and Notre Dame looming for Miami, so the wheels might be falling off in South Florida. But back to your point, which was there's a lot to clean up, and I feel like we say that a lot. Jimbo likes to say that uh, we'll, we'll strive for perfection, knowing that we're never going to get there. But, but there is plenty to clean up here. It feels, though, like more of it is on the offensive side of the ball. Overall, though, again, let's keep it macro for now. You're 5-2 and two as you reach the bye week. And honestly, uh, I think nobody would have predicted this is how you would have gotten to 5-2 and two with a, a complete blowout loss at Louisville and then a heartbreaking uh, at-the-horn 54-yard field goal that beat you against Carolina. I think most people I talked to thought, given the strength of this Florida State schedule, that the Knowles would be 6-1 and one right now with Clemson coming. And, and the reality is, for as, as bad as things were against North Carolina, it still took a career kick from a guy, and if he doesn't make it, you're sitting here six and one. Doesn't excuse it. The fact is, you're five and two. But it's not really that far from where we thought this team might be. And I've had conversations with people. They still point to the Louisville loss and say, you know, that was a complete debacle. Well, was it really? Because we've all been, and I've played in games where an opponent gets hot, and and, and you know, no matter what you do, they've got a counter for it. I mean, that was a game Florida State probably should have lost forty-five to thirty, but they were going to lose it anyway. The fact that it was a forty-point differential just speaks to the fact that Louisville has the opportunity to get hot. And you're you're sitting, as you mentioned, at five and two. Uh, I, I think most of us, with uh, any uh, rational thought, would would agree that it would be six and one. The fringe would think it should have been seven and zero, but uh, the reality is this is not your grandfather's ACC anymore. Uh, everybody is much better, and the coaching is much better, and the competition is much better, and it's a much more difficult road. And I would suggest, and I don't know, uh, we'll have to wait till the numbers get crunched. Wake Forest is not a good offensive football team, but coming into the Wake Forest game. Florida State, when you look at opponent-adjusted offenses, meaning it takes into account who your team, your opponents have played, Florida State had played the top collection of offenses in the country, and it wasn't close. And I would suggest that the margin was such that even after you factor Wake in, Florida State might still have played the best collection of offense. Point is, this is a probably a and, – and I knew it was going to be tough when the schedule came out, but but thinking through it, this has been about as grueling a six- or seven-game stretch in terms of opponents as I can remember Florida State playing. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, to go way back, and, and, and certainly the, the demographics were different, but it reminds me of 81 Oktoberfest when Florida State had those five consecutive games on the road against nationally prominent teams. And that particular team, I think, went three and two during that five-game stretch, and we were kind of happy about it. Well, guess what? Uh, we had our new uh, 2016 afesh, uh, or whatever you want to call it, in terms of how they had to open this season. Yeah, it was definitely a, a grueling schedule. So the bye week, uh, still waiting for the first head football coach to say the bye week comes at a bad time. I know Jimbo didn't say that uh, at this point because this was uh, sorely needed. But uh, speaking of Jimbo, let's listen into his comments uh, as Florida State prevails 17-6 to over Wake Forest on Saturday afternoon. This is courtesy of Seminoles.com. First of all, I'd like to say... Uh, Wake Forest got around. Like I said, coming in, they're a very good football team. They're an outstanding defensive football team. Offensively, they usually don't turn it over. We're able to create some turnovers today. Special teams, they did a great job. Uh, they're a veteran team uh, on defense, especially. And we knew going in was going to be very tough. 
but uh, we didn't play as well as we needed. Our defense was outstanding. My hat's off to our defense. They were they were outstanding. I mean, played the run tremendously well, pressured the quarterback, contested throws, created turnovers, created opportunities, and when they were put it back against the wall, they played their tails off. Can't ask enough. They're getting healthy. They're getting better. They're playing better, playing with more confidence. Those young guys keep playing, keep adding more guys. Very, very happy with their progress and what they're doing right now. Offensively, didn't do it. We got yards, didn't finish drives. Had drives to finish. Had a couple guys open the first time. Just had protection issues. Not always offensive line. Sometimes a back or a tight end or different things. Had throws we could have made and didn't finish drives. And that was I knew that was going to be a key going in because Wake stretches the game out. They get a couple first downs that you run it and you never hit big plays because the way they play defense, they play the big umbrella and a lot of things underneath. It milks the clock. And if you don't score touchdowns in the red zone, it gets to be a very tight game, just like it did. If you can score some touchdowns, you did. And that's what I was hopefully we could score two or three more touchdowns right down there. Would have been in great shape. Kind of game would have played out about like. I I thought it was going to. That's the way it always. They do a great job of playing each other. So we got to do a better job. Too much pressure on DeAndre up front, he, but he played pretty decent. Had one mistake right there, and then had a fumble at the end, which could have held on. But we had guys coming open, and uh, this happened. We missed some blocks and didn't do the things we needed to do. But at the end of the day, we won a football game in a tight situation. So I'm very proud of our guys for that thing. A lot of young guys that fought through things and kept grinding. Two first downs at the end were two or three first downs at the end. Were very critical. I don't know how many we got two or three. I couldn't remember. But ate a lot of clock up right there. Defense played smart, and uh, we managed and got out. Of the football game. So, a good win. Got to heal up now. Got uh, We're banged and bruised and have been for a while after last week's game and this game. We get a week to heal up. Have some great practice this week. Clean some things up. Get ready to go down the stretch because we got some great football teams coming. Clemson, NC State, uh, Boston College, Syracuse, and Florida. So, it's going to be a heck of a run. This league is turning, as you all say, like I said, this is a heck of a football league now, guys. There's a lot of good teams, a lot of good players, and you're going to have to play your A game every week. We need to get healthy and get ready to go. So Jimbo's thoughts, much like ours, I mean, sort of a mixed bag. There's things you like, there's things you don't like. Jimbo tends to focus more on the offense, so I know he's really going to nitpick. Uh, he was particularly disappointed in the uh, the pass interference on uh, Devontae Phillips that, that negated a Travis Rudolph play that was going to be first down, uh, might have been first and goal. Uh, so he was really upset about that. But the turnovers, obviously, and he had the, the conference's best red zone offense against the conference's best red zone defense, and it was the red zone defense, really, that prevailed. You look at the stat sheet and Florida State was three of three in red zone scores. That's misleading though because they didn't get the touchdowns they wanted. And the other thing that, that Jimbo will speak about to the team very privately along with uh, Coach Graham is is that kickoff return they gave up that got negated because of a, of a, a penalty. Uh, you know, Florida State has done a wonderful job on their kickoff coverage. Uh, this time they chose to kick many more bloops and give uh, Wake the opportunity to return it. They busted one out got called back. He won't like that, I know. Yeah, no question about that. I will say this, though. Nobody would have predicted that Wake Forest would have had more penalties than Florida State in that football game. And that one on the kick return was rather large, and it was a penalty. No question. No question. Five penalties for 40 yards uh, for Wake Forest and uh, for Florida State, four penalties for 42 yards. But uh, FSU goes 5-2. and two. They weren't particularly good uh, on third down conversions. Really, the defense was the story, though, and we will, we'll get to that. No question. All right, we'll step aside for now and uh, come back. Uh, you, should we start with the defense this time around? Give them their due? We'll give them their due. We'll give them their due when we come back as Florida State prevails 17-6. to Welcome back. Tom and Keith with you. One of the more amazing uh, statistics that's, that has come out of this FSU Wake Forest uh, series. 
Six points on Saturday, and Wake still has not scored a touchdown in Doe Campbell Stadium since 2006. I mean, that's just, I mean, how could that happen? Uh, you know, obviously they only play here every other year, and there may have been a time or two when they skipped, uh, but that's a decade without scoring seven. Uh, and it comes after that debacle that was 30 to zip Wake for us that led to Jimbo Fisher arriving here. All right. Uh, plenty of kudos to go around for the defense. We'll do that momentarily, but I'll remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fast to get all your power tool needs. There's two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can find them online at ctf.nu. So thanks to the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Defensively, you just give up six points. Now, that's not a great wake offense, clearly, but 252 yards of total offense uh, is what they mustered in that game. Uh, a lot of sacks for Florida State. Uh, all in all, I mean, I, I don't. A couple of nice interceptions. I don't know that there's a lot to find fault with in that effort. And to echo that further, and I, I talked to Coach Charles Johnson uh, last night after the game. Prior to Wake getting the ball with just a minute and a half or whatever left, Florida State had held them to under 200 yards of total offense. Right. The the thing that impressed me about the, this particular defensive effort, Tom. Is and obviously you're going to contrast that against Miami. They came out strong against Wake, just like they did against Miami. We said that Miami's offense suited this Florida State defense a little better, if there is such a way of saying that. In that, Kyle was a drop-back passer, stayed in the pocket. They were conventional in their running attack. Well, that's not the case against Wake. And certainly they're not a Louisville and they're not a Clemson in terms of how they run the read option or how they do the the, the triple option or, or their passing attack. But they're adequate. They had won five ball games. They could move the ball up and down the field consistently. And Florida State played well against that type of defense. There were no issues of uh, lining up. There were no issues of communication. Uh, there were no breakdowns. Uh, there were a couple of physical lapses. We saw uh, Tavares McFadden get beat on a, on a pass one time when he stumbled. Uh, but he also had the pick. You saw Florida State, as you mentioned, get the sacks. Uh, and, and the young guys continued to play well. Uh, the two guys that jumped out at me first was Trey Marshall. I thought Trey had an unbelievable ball game. And, and Ermon Lane continues to impress me with what he's doing at the safety position. All right, so two things. Let's hold the Ermon conversation and start with Trey. Trey against Miami. Uh, because of safety injuries and, and not finding the right combination, it took them until the Miami game where they really moved him into the star position. And so if you watch him, in their base defense, he's your slot corner, if you will. But he holds the edge well, plays the run well, and it's worked out well. And in, in that, uh, when they go to their dime package, he moves back to a more traditional safety. But uh, in general... Uh, you know, kind of the book on him is maybe he's not your best cover corner, but but he seems to be a pretty good hybrid, and maybe that's the best place for him is at the star. And it's that star position, it, it, we do call it the hybrid for a reason. You've got to be able to force the run, hold the edge. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to tackle in space. And, oh, by the way, you've got to have some ball skills and some coverage skills. So it's a very uh, difficult position from a skill set and from a an, an instinctive uh, 
way of playing ball, but he, he just seems to fit that. Remember, too, this is the same defense that's they're out without they're without Nate, uh, so they had to play a couple of more freshmen a lot more. They were out Matthew Thomas for the first half, had to start a freshman at linebacker. So, uh, I mean, I was just impressed with the way Coach Kelly and the staff got the kids ready. I was more impressed with how the kids came out with energy. And, and we talk about execution. I thought the defense did execute reasonably well, even though the offense maybe lacked a little. One last point on Trey Marshall. Uh, you hear coaches talk about, and we talk about, uh, playing through the hands of the opposing receiver. Well, there was a long pass. Wake Forest thought maybe it was a catch. They called timeout because they wanted the replay officials to take another look at it. Trey Marshall had his back to the quarterback and was chasing the receiver downfield, and he played through the hands, and that's what was the difference between a completion and an incompletion on that play. Which speaks to the fact that he's coachable. And he can do what needs to be done in certain situations without trying to be too big or make too big of a play. Do your job. Don't try to do too much. Just do your job, and good things will happen. When we say play through the hands, when the receiver's hands move, yours move. Yours move, and and he was able to do that. All right, let's go back to Ehrman Lane then. Uh, We were... The word is not incredulous for last week. I think it was surprised that he played so soon and played pretty well. I'm moving a little closer to incredulous that... He played very well, in my estimation, against Wake Forest on Saturday. I mean, I asked you before we began this conversation. That was your observation from up top. It was mine from down low. Now, the coaches will grade the tape and know for sure. But, uh, again, uh, I I was worried he might take a step back or that Wake might try to bait him into some things, knowing that he's brand new to the position. And he certainly appeared to be in command and uh, comfortable out there, which, again, that's where I'm most surprised. He, he doesn't look confused. There, right, there's no, right. There's no stars in his eyes. He seems to be very focused, very confident. Uh, he made a couple of good plays. I mean, just good, solid, fundamental plays. I did not. You'd have to go back and look at the coach's tape and know what the call is. I did not see a glaring mistake. I saw a couple of mistakes against Miami. I did not see any against Wake Forest. Doesn't mean he didn't make them. Just means they weren't obvious. And and he just he just it's incredulous. I'm yeah. back to the word. Yeah. How has he been able to step in and perform so well? I think it goes back to other things we've talked about. He's very athletic. He's big. He's strong. He'll hit you. He's not a timid receiver that's now come over to the defensive side. He would block when he was a receiver. He'll tackle on the defensive side. But he's got that it thing, Tommy. He's got that instinctual, that football intellect, that football instinct. And that safety position is the best position for that to be utilized. And and it's a great fit so far. Well, he's instinctual there. And it it appears to be less thinking involved or uh, uh, more just natural reaction. He sees. Where, where, where he is, sees whereas offensively, on. Jimbo's passing game and route uh, can be complex enough that you have to adjust. Obviously, depending on what the defense is doing, it just it never seemed to completely click offensively for him. And boy, the light has gone on in a hurry defensively, and it's really good to see. And I had a thought about midway through the Wake Forest game: What's it going to look like with Derwin James? And Ermin Lane is your starting safeties next year in 2017, or or, or later this year. Exactly. I mean, uh, they'll be they'll be the two biggest in the country. That's what, that's my point. When I think of six four when, and six two, I mean that's when you talk about coming down and closing on a, on a on a pitch play, uh, they're going to be bringing some heat. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. So uh, another positive. Uh, 
step there. And, and now let's talk about the freshman uh, linebacker who I thought uh, held his own. He certainly likes to trigger downhill and, and play the run. Now, this is Wake Forest, and you're not exactly worried that they're going to beat you deep uh, you know, and kill you with their passing game. But I thought he played pretty well without Matthew Thomas there in the first half. The two things that I think went to his advantage, number one, he wasn't thrown in because of an injury. Uh, in other words, he had the week to prepare himself. Coach Kelly and his staff had the week to get him ready. He knew he was going to play the predominant number of snaps in the first half. Uh, I, too, uh, believe the same way. There's a reason that, that you sign these kids. They're athletic. They can run to the ball. Uh, I thought that uh, his instinctual uh, nature really took over. I, I don't know how much they might have made it very simplistic in terms of their calls, uh, but certainly what they ask of him, he executed. Well, and did you notice in the second half that when Matthew Thomas came back, he stayed in, and it was Roderick Hoskins that was removed from the game. And so, who knows? Maybe they just wanted to see him for a full game, but uh, maybe you know a few half a season in, the lights going on for that freshman. Well, the more playing time you get, the more confidence your staff has in you, your coaching staff has in you. So, uh, the more you can get him on tape, the more you can look at him, the more you can evaluate him within your system, the more comfortable you are using him. By the way, Trey Marshall led the team with eight tackles. Ermin Lane had seven. Josh Sweat seven. His effort was good. Let's give him credit. Uh, I think I think Josh has turned the page. I've been a little harsh on him. Uh, not that he even cares about what my opinion is, uh, but he seems to have turned the page a little bit. I think part of that has to do with Burns pushing him, Pugh doing some things. Uh, William Floyd said during our pregame on the on the network that uh, the biggest motivator in in college football is that guy breathing down your neck that's taking your playing time. And I think you're starting to see some of that competition that we talked about in the 2013 group that led to a national championship. You're starting to now see the competition of those youngsters pushing those older guys. That'll make the older guys better. Not that Josh is old, but he's been here a while. We need to tip the cap to the D tackles, especially Derek Noddy. It's clearly obvious that now that he's healthy, that is a different line up front with him in there. Uh, it's sort of like playing fullback on offense. You never get any credit or pay attention to those guys, <laughs> the big uglies up front. But uh, they, And again, it was Wake Forest, but they did their job. The center for Wake Forest played most of the ball game four yards off the line of scrimmage. In not the right direction. Right, which about sums that up. <laughs> All right, last thought on the defense, and we'll get into more of this on the front row, which you can hear Wednesdays at 6, right here on 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. Man versus zone. Again, to me, it appeared like there was more man than zone. It's hard to know without a call sheet. But I'm asking this because we saw against Wake a couple times where the quarterback scrambled for 16, 18 yards. That's because it was man coverage and the – the, DB, and they the DBs had been cleared yep. out on the routes. Well, if that's Deshaun Watson, that's a problem. I mean, you're going to have to mix in some zone next time we see this team. That, and you've got to stress during the bye week and the week of Clemson, whoever's got contained, whoever's got the edge, has got to maintain it. Don't get upfield and don't get sucked inside. Play parallel to the line of scrimmage. Make him run laterally, and don't allow him to cross that line of scrimmage with his legs. Make him throw the football. If you don't do that, then Watson will tear you apart just like uh, just like uh, Lamar, Lamar, Jackson. Lamar Jackson did right. uh, up in Louisville. 
All right, well, let's table that for now. We'll come back to that either Wednesday, maybe later in this show if we get time. But we'll step aside for now, come back and assess the offensive play in a 17-6 Florida State victory over Wake Forest. Welcome back. Tom and Keith with you as we continue. We do this show each and every Sunday. You can hear it uh, at 9 a.m. and also at 7 p.m. on Sundays as we recap the seminal game from the weekend. Florida State wins at 17-6. The Knowles uh, did not cover the point spread for those of you that uh, have friends in Las Vegas. Uh, so perhaps you're more disappointed than any uh, that Florida State only mustered 17 points. But I go back to where we started at the top of the show, and this is everything we knew coming in. Wake Forest wants to make you drive the length of the field because they're betting that at some point you will make a mistake like what Devontae Phillips did, and it killed that drive with a pass interference. There were four turnovers in the game. Uh, they missed a field goal. And that's just what Wake Forest does. That's and their recipe. That's their recipe. They loaded up in the box to stop the run. They made Dalvin earn his yards, uh, which he did. 25 carries for 115 yards. Two fumbles, which was a bit of a surprise to see from the junior running back. But, I mean, I think that's what Wake is. They are going to swarm around the ball, and uh, once they get you stood up or once they get you uh, in a position where you're not moving forward anymore, they're going to start trying the strip and that type of thing. Uh, you'd have to go back and ask Dalvin. You have to go back and look at the tape as to what was the reason for those fumbles. Uh, I know one of the reasons is his effort. He's constantly trying with second and third effort, uh, and that can lead to problems occasionally. But he's very sure-handed. Uh, I just thought it was a reminiscent of how this offense was just, just missing on little things uh, that they had done very well in the Miami game, had done very well at, at different times, particularly the comeback against Ole Miss. And, and candidly, Tom, going into the bye week, this is probably good tape for Jimbo. Right. Because he can, he can throw things up there and say, these are the things we need to work on, and the kids will see themselves doing it in the last game. It'll resonate, hopefully, very clear to them. Well, part of it, as I watched it, and Jimbo would never admit to this if this was the case, it seemed a little vanilla offensively, and there's a reason you'd keep it vanilla before you play Clemson. Not that Clemson's not going to look at previous tape, but they're certainly going to look at your last tape. And, you know, we had talked about two tight end sets. I don't feel like I saw a ton of that. I mean, you know, I think there were some things that were held close to the vest for a reason. And Coaches Speaks would tell you that if Jimbo was sitting here and we asked him that question, he would appropriately deny it. Right. And then wink at us or cross his fingers or whatever, you know, he would do to be playful. In that, I'm sure that played into the game plan. I think also they knew they didn't have to pull out a lot of the playbook in order to go up against this Wake Forest defense because other than their red zone defense, this was not a terribly good defense. Uh, they had good numbers, but when you watched them on tape, you knew that they were a little a step behind. They'd be a step behind you, um, that you could run the ball at them or you could get around them. You could throw the ball over the top if you needed to, but you might not want to do those things in order to be victorious for the very reasons you're talking about. You know, it's kind of interesting. Florida State turns it over, I guess, four times, and I didn't watch all of that Clemson game, but part of the reason they went to overtime is they turned it over several times. Similar things. You know, the, the better team ultimately won. It was a struggle. They were at home. They both have bye weeks, and they're both looking ahead to that big showdown. Uh, but So that is what it is. That said, let's go back here. Uh, DeAndre Francois, who I don't think threw early in the week because he was a little ding still coming out of the Miami game, looked rusty early on. He did. His numbers were not good through the first half. He picked those up in the second half. He finished the ball game 
game with, with very good numbers, 22 of 37 for 319 yards, had the one pick, and it was a bad decision. He just he threw the ball into coverage. Uh, he knows better than that. He would tell you that it was a bad decision. Uh, but, uh, you know, another game over 300 yards, another game with a touchdown pass. And what about the game that uh, Travis Rudolph had? Uh, I mean, we'd been talking about Rudolph had that consecutive game stretch of catching passes, but it was only one or two came, uh, passes. I think he had three catches in the last two games combined. Goes off for 13 catches, uh, three, 238 yards. And, and I don't know if Francois was just targeting him. I would think that it was because of the way Wake Forest was playing. He went through progressions. But either way, uh, Travis had a, had a big, big game. Well, one, one drive in particular, he was matched up on a freshman corner for Wake, and they went to him about three or four times in a row. Wake's corners were young, uh, save for I think they had one senior on the other side, so they exploited that when they could. Yeah, it was, it was a good game for Rudolph. Now, the receiving rotation is going to change. I would expect. Bobo Wilson went down. They carted him off. He was ruled out for the game. As we're talking, I have no idea what the long-term prognosis is. I'm just going to suggest that it might not be great. I don't know that. Nobody's told me that. One thing we did see, though, is when Bobo went out, Auden Tate went in, Devontae Phillips went in. You saw some other guys get in there. And Auden Tate now, who, who scored a touchdown, he has eight catches this year, and four of them are touchdowns. I mean, he's just a big target. He's roommates with DeAndre Francois, by the way, which probably doesn't hurt the quarterback-receiver uh, relationship. But uh, if, if Bobo is out, there are things – there were reasons that Auden Tate – wasn't among the first three, um, and it has to do with blocking and precision, and maybe missing around here and there. But but I've you know you put a guy out there, and all of a sudden you notice where two DBs roll and where the safety rolls. It rolls to the big six five guy. So that's going to happen now. Well, and you and I talked about over the summer because we didn't have anything to talk about. Florida State needed a big target. For Everybody red talked zone. about it. We needed a big target for red zone, and certainly they have at least so far through seven games found that in Tate. The other thing that uh, I think is is happening is is Auden is growing up because that that big frame of his has allowed him, particularly in high school, uh, to overwhelm. Uh, high school defensive backs just because of his physicality. Uh, that doesn't work in Jimbo's game. you you got to learn how to run routes, as we've talked about, the ability to make adjustments, side adjustments after the snap. Uh, you've got to be able to block or Dulce ain't going to play you. Uh, and so he's had to mature as a, as a receiver. Now that he's done those things and proven that he can do those things, he's getting more at-bats. Yeah, and he's definitely going to get more at-bats now, assuming that something is wrong with Bobo. I know, uh, speaking of that, that changed who returned punts. And uh, I was one of the guys calling for somebody else to return punts earlier this year, and then I came off of that because Bobo did a solid job. Uh, and you could see what happens when you don't have a senior in there. Now, you had a better look than I did, but that one punt that wasn't caught, should it have been caught? Yes, he should have caught it. Right. Now, what, what Nooney's going to tell you is there was people all around. Well, just run. If they run into you, it's a penalty. It's a penalty. Run to the ball. If you need a fair catch, make it. But make sure that ball doesn't hit the ground. Uh, he'll get better at that, and he'll get coached up on that, and, and hopefully that won't happen again. Yeah, and I know, and you're a former punt returner for Florida State, uh, and it wasn't because uh, you had electric moves. It was because you got to the I ball would and catch ca- the ball. You would get to the ball and catch the ball. What do you talk about my moves for? <laughs> Maybe you had why, electric. Why are you going to bring that up? That was before my days. I don't know. Maybe the moves were electric, KJ. Uh, other things offensively. They were DC. They weren't AC. <laughs> if they were electric. <laughs> Let's go back to DeAndre for a minute. Uh, just from the, the standpoint that his mobility – really gives you a different look 
offensively. Uh, Even though Jimbo has had quarterbacks that can run, we haven't seen as many bootlegs or waggles. Not that we saw the waggle yesterday, but we saw a goal line touchdown. I mean, you've got Dalvin Cook on that goal line play. They bring in Dalvin Cook. You got Freddie Stevenson. They bring in Fred Jones. So they've got the whole powerhouse. Big number fifty-five. The Mac and everybody's loaded up on the right, and so they fake everything to the right. The whole Wake Wake Forest defense is looking at that. Going, the Golden Chiefs went that way. It's it's a it's a did the the Golden did the marching Chiefs too, or just the Golden Chiefs on the booster side? Well, I'm in the marching Chiefs, the Silver Chiefs, Golden Chiefs, all the Chiefs went that way. So it was good play call. But the the point is, I mean, that is something that you know you got to use it because it's a good option, and he's been good with the ball. He really has. And and the only thing I worry about though, Tom, and we talked about this a little bit or alluded to it a little bit. When you run him, he's going to get hit. Because he's getting hit in the pocket, too, you've got to make sure you take care of him during the week of practice. Yeah. And there was some practice time that DeAndre didn't go through during the preparation for Wake Forest because they wanted him to rest. That's that's a balancing act. So how much do you run him? How much do you stand him in the pocket when he's getting hit? And how does that affect his practice time the next week or the next week and getting ready for the next game? Because you've got to respect the fact that he can't be out there all the time during the week and take that kind of punishment on the weekend. Uh, And balancing that becomes an issue. Well, I would say in looking at it, he 10 total carries is what they list him, and, and several of those were sacks, uh, unfortunately, at least a few of them were. I don't feel like Jimbo is overrunning him, though, uh, and, and he's done a better job than early in the season at sliding. We saw it at the end of the game. The touchdown, obviously, he wasn't touched. Uh, I just think the legs are a weapon. Everybody in college football is using their quarterback to run, and Jimbo's doing it some now. My final comment on that is it's not his running that's causing the issue. It's how many times he's getting hit in the pocket. Right. So well, and that's... It's an offensive line issue as much as anything uh, about his use. Well, and definitely the offensive line has made some mistakes, and they were they were far from stellar on Saturday against Wake Forest. They took a step back, and candidly. That, yeah, I thought so too. But what I was going to say is that Francois still holds the ball a tick too long. Sometimes. Uh, and that's you know not trusting what he sees in terms of the routes and not getting the ball out on time. I thought there was a noticeable adjustment second half to first half in terms of the passing game. First half when he got you know his completion percentage was low, he was trying intermediate to deep passes, 20, 25, 30 yards. Now, I don't know if it was just as simple as he checked down or if the routes and plays that were called in the second half were shorter, but then he just completed, it was third and four, we'll take a five-yard pass. You know, try a, a higher percentage completion pass. He got into a rhythm, yeah, and he got into a quicker rhythm, and obviously that's an offensive lineman's best friend. If you get that ball out in 2.3, 2.5 seconds, that means they don't have to hold their blocks as long. So maybe a combination of all of them. The uh, special teams missed a field goal early on. I don't recall the down in uh, distance on that missed field goal. I think it, it was 40, 45, 47. Yeah, but well, it was fourth and oh, one. Oh, I'm sorry, the down in distance. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have the play-by-play in front of me right now. Uh, it, it, it was in that gray area that we've talked about. Now, if it was, and, and again, I don't recall, if it was fourth and seven or eight, I'm not suggesting go for that. But if you're in that 45 to 50-yard field goal range, I'd rather see four downs there go for it to move the chains. It ends up being a moot point as Florida State wins 17-6. to uh, I still do worry a little bit about uh, Aguayo 
in his confidence. He's still a freshman. There's still a lot to be learned. Uh, he came through another time, and obviously he's got the consecutive kicks on the PATs. Uh, but uh, that may lead to problems in the future. Let's hope not. It was that first kick. Uh, just to wrap this up, it was windy, and the wind was uh, it was at his back, but it was also pushing left, which is exactly where that kick went. Unfortunately, all in all, Florida State uh, a C at best offensively, I'd say, but they get the job done, seventeen to six, and it sets the stage for two weeks of hype for Florida State Clemson. It's not quite what we had hoped it might be, but it's still a great opportunity for Florida State, and we'll start that discussion when we come back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. Florida State wins it 17-6, to the final over Wake Forest. I'll remind you once more that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Visit them online at ctf.nu. We appreciate them being on board this year. Again, you can hear this uh, show every Sunday at 9 and at 7 p.m. as we recap the game. We're done. Is there anything else we need to add about uh, FSU Wake Forest overall? Well, the only thing is, uh, you know, third down conversions, Florida State have been real good offensively for the last couple of weeks. They were just 4 of 12. That'll be a point of emphasis. And, and again, the, the pass protection from the offensive line. Uh, they've got a couple of weeks to, to work on that. They'll need to make some improvement there, or Clemson will exploit that. Well, And the special teams, the punt coverage is still not good. I agree. Uh, the kick return, they gave one up that was called back. I'd have to look at the tape. Perhaps the guy that was held is the reason that that kick return sprung. I, I don't know uh, offhand. All right, so we say goodbye to Wake Forest for now. They'll get another chance in two years to try and score a touchdown in Doak Campbell. We'll go up to Snuggy Hill next year and play there. But right now we're going to turn the page and talk about Clemson, who didn't look all that great. Uh, for as good as they looked against Boston College the previous week, they looked uh, uninspired is not the word, but they, they were in a dogfight against NC State, as best I could tell, and turnovers were part of the reason. So it was similar to the Wake Forest game, but they will not play like that when they come to Doak in two weeks. The thing you've got to hope for with Clemson is, is that they do turn the ball over uh, because the, the, if they hang on to the ball and they run their offense, then you're in a shootout, uh, and we've, we've seen that, that happen. Um, turnovers are just huge against Clemson. Can you get some takeaways? Uh, I think they, too, much like Florida State, though no one will admit it, uh, there's been so much hype about this FSU-Clemson game. You've known for three or four weeks now that uh, game uh, ESPN game day is going to be there. Uh, Ryan and Danny are coming. The Rosillo and Cannell show are coming for Friday night. They'll be at Madison Social uh, on the Friday afternoon prior to the Saturday game. Um, it, it most likely will be a night game. It'll be in that 8 o'clock slot. Uh, you know, the hype will be there. And as much as we want to tell us ourselves that the kids don't look ahead, they don't pay attention to it, we know they do. Uh, and as a result, I think both teams were probably a little uninspired in their ball games. Let's be fair, NC State's a pretty good ball club. Uh, they have really uh, come on here in the last two or three weeks. So it wasn't like Clemson was playing Furman. But at the same time, they were not inspired what little bit of the game I saw. NC State has a really good defensive front, and that game has been a trap game since the moment the schedule came out for Florida State, and that will be a dogfight for FSU regardless of what happens against Clemson for FSU. Because Florida State plays Clemson in two weeks, and NC, and NC State the week following. NC State the week following. Uh, you mentioned the kickoff time. By the way, the ACC announces game times on Mondays around lunchtime, so that's when we'll find out 
if in fact they decide to announce the kickoff time for not. I think they will because both teams are open. Well, I'm sorry, you're, you're exactly right. Because both teams are open, they, they might. They could if if they deferred it, they then hold it to Sunday, which is a six day option, and really they announce that late Saturday when the last ACC game is done. I think they will announce it tomorrow at lunchtime. Let's hope so, and we can make our plans accordingly. Uh, it'll be a great weekend. It'll be the best crowd of the year. It'll be a big big time atmosphere, and and let's be honest about this. I know we're the FSU guys, Keith. The pressure is squarely on Clemson's back in this football game. FSU's already lost two games. FSU has, they, they have nothing at stake other than pride. Without question. And as a result, will this FSU team play loose and fast from the get go? Uh, I think they might. Uh, I certainly have been impressed with the defense the last two weeks and coming out from first snap. I think we've established, I think the kids understand now that it's an effort issue. Uh, I, I would hope that our listeners, our fans, understand that we don't need to be talking about what's going to happen to the defensive coordinator after the end of the year. Uh, that conversation's moot in my point, in my book, uh, and it's a direct result of kids deciding that they'll play. Now, having said that, you've got to look at that Louisville tape, and you've got to be honest with yourself about the things you did or didn't do, because though the offenses are a little bit different between Louisville and Clemson, the concepts are the same. If you don't keep the quarterback contained, he'll kill you. If you don't get a pass rush and you give him time, he'll throw the ball down the field. And they've got great receivers. They've got running backs that can turn up uh, yardage. And, and you've you got to take advantage of opportunities and create some turnovers or, or it becomes a track meet. And you've got to hope your offense can stay up with you. Yeah, and we've thought, uh, we certainly thought last week was going to be a track meet against Miami, and it wasn't. And now you've gone two straight weeks where Florida State scored 20 points and 17 points, and that's not going to get it done against Clemson. No, it will not. I, I'm going to suggest that, that 35 is probably the bare minimum you're going to need, even with a great defensive effort. Because I mean, if, just think back to some of the great Clemson games here uh, against Alabama in the national title game. What was that, 45-40 or something like that? Uh, a couple weeks ago against Louisville, it was another, again, I forget the final score, but it was 44-38 or something like that. You're not going to beat Clemson, and I know we said this against my about Miami, but you're not going to beat Clemson twenty to seventeen. I wouldn't think so, and they're going to get their yardage. Uh, so uh, you know you got to create some turnovers for yourself. Uh, you've got to keep them to, to kicking field goals and not scoring when they get into the red zone, and and you got to hope your offense is clicking on its cylinders because uh, you know you're going to have to score some points. That's what's going to make this game the one everybody wants to watch at eight o'clock on that Saturday night. Let's go back to that question I posed earlier about uh, mixing in more zone to help contain uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, sometimes I feel like we make it sound like zone defense is, is akin to trying to split the atom. I mean, how difficult is it to play assignment football? Uh, I'm not saying you play every zone defense in the book, but to at least get a few in there that, you're, that your players are comfortable with. What zones defenses do, Tommy, is if your front seven don't execute well, you've got defensive backs that are having their faces turned towards the ball and not their backs towards the ball. And they can help when plays break out or squirt out. You can help with the gash plays. Uh, I think you have to mix that up with, with them because I believe, particularly with Williams, the wide receiver from Clemson, Clemson's got athletes. I mean, they, they can run down the field, throw the ball up, and just play the odds. 
because then go up and get the ball. Uh, if you can make uh, Deshaun have to think a little bit, if you have, to, if you make him have to go through some reads and not just go half a field one-two run, then you've got a chance to for him to make some mistakes. So yes, you're going to have to mix up the the, the zone. You got to play man-to-man occasionally. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of man under with a safety or two over the top for protection, uh, but. The, the real crux of stopping this Clemson offense is that front four not having to have help, where those linebackers can run free, the safeties can run free, and they can charge the line of scrimmage when needed and make some plays in open spaces. So if the front four can hold their own, if you can make tackles in space, uh, you've got a chance against this Clemson offense, recognizing that if they're clicking, they're going to score some points. You're going to have to have some help from the offense, and they're going to have to score some points. Well, and that's – if ever there was a game where Florida State needs to start quickly on offense, no and question. Wake Forest did that, that game is it. You've got to be able to score early and fast against Clemson. And I think that the offense for Florida State, even though Brett Venables has done a great job for Clemson defensively, I do think the FSU offense will look a lot different – against Clemson than it did yesterday against Wake. I mean, I just think you're going to see, you know, whether it's sneaking Dalvin out on the wheel route, whether it's some reverses, maybe it's the traditional option, maybe it's the read option. You're going to see some wrinkles you haven't seen. This is the type of game that the Jimbo Fishers of the world, the head coaches that call plays, this is the type of game they relish in because it's an absolute 100% challenge to their intellect, and they don't want to back down from it. And I'm going to be honest, going back to the pressure point, Keith, it would depend on the score, but I don't know if Clemson can lose this game. And st- I guess I-, I can't say definitively. They could lose the game and still make the college football playoff because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker over Louisville, assuming it fi- so they would still get the ACC championship game. But, uh, I mean, there's, I guess the bigger point I'm making is that Clemson, for as good as they've been, and they've won a lot of big games over the years, in the last several years, uh, they've got a, a, a generational, once-in-a-generation type quarterback, and this is their year to get that national title for the first time since 81. And, if, uh, and that's all on their backs when they come to Doak uh, in two weeks. And, and they got there last year, but I think we all agreed that they got there a little bit differently than they should. This year it's their path to, 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 to have – and, and uh, I agree with you. The pressure's on them because all the eyes are on them. Florida State's got nothing to lose. Hey, we've got a great front row coming up for you this Wednesday. Tim Brando, a well-known broadcaster uh, for years and years, currently with Fox, uh, outspoken about all things related to college football, whether it's conference expansion, Notre Dame to the ACC, ACC Network, when should Florida and LSU play. We'll hit all those topics. He's going to join us Wednesday night on the uh, front row. So we hope you join us then at 6 o'clock. Until then, Florida State wins it 17-6. to He's Keith, I'm Tom, and we'll talk to you next week. So long.